Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Brittany Van Schravendijk. She is a trainer based out of WEC Method in San Diego, California. We had a fantastic conversation. Let's just get this party started. Here we go. Just had no. to had to find a, a spot where I could hang out because there's like the certification is going on right now, like in the gym, and then people are working upstairs. So I just found a little corner here. Nice, yeah, that's awesome. So, God, we got so much to talk about. Let's uh, let's start by just um, introducing yourself and who you are and what you do and why you do it. Okay, all right, that's that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, see, we're gonna go super deep right at the very end, at the very beginning, like why you do things. <laughs> People are like, oh my god. <laughs> okay, well, um, my name is Brittany Van Travendijk. So I've been. I was thinking about this earlier because I, I knew you were gonna ask me like an intro, right? Yeah. Uh, so I've been working in the fitness industry almost nine years. I started out when I was in college. Um, I I did some track and field in in high school and the start of college. I'd say that was kind of the start of my athletic career like I was active growing up but that kind of really channeled me into um, training consistently and starting to get into coaching and then when I got a, a part-time job at a gym during college it's when I discovered kettlebells and more specifically kettlebell sport training so I, I just became really obsessed with kettlebells I started competing um, through, over the course of the next five years or so I, I earned seven master of sport titles and then a, won a world championship and from there, during that time, started dabbling with different things as well, with handstands, with ring training, with all kinds of body weight, with mobility, um, other types of functional training. And now it's just expanded. I guess, you know, I've been, I've been working at WEC methods, so learning some of their locomotion stuff, um, like slacklining, all kinds of different physical training personally. And, you know, I've been personal training people for, yeah, about eight, eight nine years and um, just really love helping people see what they're capable of with physical movement and how that transfers over, of course, mentally and into the rest of their lives. And uh, for me, uh, finding personal training and working in coaching was really finding my passion. I, I studied uh, civil engineering at UC Berkeley. So it wasn't always a, it wasn't necessarily a direct path to get there. If you had told me, you know, 10 years ago that I would, that I was going to be a personal trainer, I would have been like, no way, I would yeah. never do that. <laughs> right. But um, as I, as I kind of went through my engineering degree, I, I just realized I, while, it, while what I studied was interesting, I just didn't feel like a passion for it and just couldn't see myself, you know, working a nine to five behind a desk doing an engineering job. So when I got this part-time job at a gym, it kind of just opened up this world into something that I, I really felt passionate about and, and tapped back into, you know, what I had been super into in high school, which was training and even like coaching some of my teammates kind of tapped back into that natural passion that, that I had and, and decided to just kind of like roll with that and, and see how I could make that work for myself from a career standpoint and still going strong now. So it's, it's worked out pretty well. That's awesome. So what was it like to become a world champion? Cause that's pretty rare. So what, let's talk about that for a second, because that's a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah, so kettlebell sport is obviously a pretty niche sport. So it it, it started in Russia, and uh, for a long time, women weren't allowed to compete. And then when they were, they were only allowed to compete in like single bell snatch versus yeah. um, men competing in double bell clean and jerks, double bell jerks, and snatch. Um, the women were kind of limited at first. So when women started getting more into the sport, I would say. Yeah. early 2000s is kind of when they started becoming more active with it. Um, 
at first they were just doing single bell lifts and that kind of started changing around 2016 I believe the uh, Orange Kettlebell Club started having women compete the same events as men so uh, I would say I was one of the first women to start competing regularly with those double kettlebells and as that started progressing into a higher level uh, I was one of the first women to start competing with double 24 kilo kettlebells which was the professional level so um, the world championship that that was super cool it it was this really cool like hallmark event that was uh, 2017 and it was uh, the first world championship there's multiple world championships in kettlebell sport because there's different organizations but this was kind of the first official one where women were competing professionally with it with double 24 kilo bells so you know having the opportunity to not only you know be kind of a pioneer in the sport that way but also have the opportunity to be the best in the world at something that's it's pretty unique you know it's it's a pretty cool opportunity to to be able to have gotten to to a place in my training where I was ready to to take on something like that ready to handle that and um win the world championships so that was an amazing experience I I'm really grateful that I I was able to experience that yeah because I've been amateur and above average on a lot of stuff you know so like i started out um mixed martial arts training and then went to jujitsu so i had one cage fight and was like that was pretty cool i don't need to do that anymore because i just got ran over by this huge guy that was like 20 pounds heavier than me (laughs) and uh, but then i went into uh do multiple jujitsu tournaments and and started crossfit from there which is you know crossfit kind of bleeds into everything um and once you kind of understand like the effort that it takes to go from average to above average to like exceptional to like world-class, that's a huge accomplishment just for anybody and anything. Like it's crazy how much effort that takes and just, God dang, it's really, I mean the dedication too, because at that level, you know, when I was training with double 24 kilo bells, it's, you know, those are 53 pounds each and you're lifting them for 10 minutes without setting them down. That was, that was literally just all I could really do was my, my training for that. You know, I couldn't be doing other stuff that I liked to do, which was, it's a big challenge if you work in fitness too, and you like exploring different modalities of training. It was like, no, I, if I do that, I literally will not be able to complete the training that I need to do. So really, you know, for, for five or six years, I would say that really like my main focus was just kettlebell sport with just grinding and training for that goal, you know? So it was definitely a, a sacrifice in many ways. And I spent, you know, all my time thinking about training, planning around training, you know, I'd say it was probably as close as you could get to being a professional kettlebell sport athlete in the U S because obviously it's not really a thing as in you don't get paid for it, but you know, with training coaching, which, which kind of aligns with it and, and having probably more time to train and time to rest than somebody who's working a regular job. You know, I had the, the focus and the drive and the time to commit to that goal and I think, you know, that was, that was needed. It's, it's hard to train at that level. If you, if you have a, a nine to five job, if you've got a family, if you've got a lot of other things pulling you in different directions, that's, that's a lot tougher. Yeah. And especially cause I used, uh, I essentially just being completely honest, used student loans and going to school as an excuse to train CrossFit for five hours a day. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's pretty cool to be a personal trainer. So then you can, you're in the gym. And so in between like clients, you can work out a lot more and stuff like that and kind of keep that drive going instead of having to go to like a nine to five, because there are, you know, some cage fighters, some CrossFit athletes that are firefighters and paramedics and all this crazy shit that just are able to have a full-time job and still accomplish a high level of something it's bananas yeah that's that's a certain like i have a lot of respect for those people because the time management that, that you have to have for that that's insane you know they obviously make their time really worth it in order right. to get in enough training time and and rest to accomplish stuff like that and really just the drive, the drive is just unprecedented to, because especially if you have a full-time job like that, uh, you don't ever really want to, but you have to in order to accomplish those kind of things, you know, it's just, and so that's like a, you know, um, that's why I love uh, David Goggins message because 
you know, motivation is crap. It doesn't really exist. Nobody's ever really motivated. You just have to figure out what you want and then work really hard towards that direction. And most of the time you don't want to do it. You know, like yeah. when I was doing training for my cage fight, I didn't want to wake up at seven in the morning and go to do sprint intervals on a treadmill. It was terrible, you know, but you have to do it to just get to some type of level where you're, you can handle that amount of stress for that long. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's essentially what it is. Like, like, cause you said you, you were training kettlebell sport for six years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it essentially took you six years to train for like that 10 minutes of stress that you needed to become a world champion. And yeah. So, yeah. So that, that's the, that just, you know, that's reason, one reason why I love this podcast so much is because there's no overnight success. Really. There's like some weird stories where some guy woke up and he's like, Oh, Instagram. And then a couple months later was a billionaire. You know, <laughs> that's not how this works. You got to grind and you got to work and you got to put in effort and you got to be disappointed and you got to be disheartened. And you got to even that probably even in the case of this guy, I feel like everything in your life leads up to what, right. Like what success you have, right? Like right. you becoming you took your whole life up until that point. Cause I, I, I feel the same with, with my kettlebell sport training. I feel like it was more than just the six years, right? It's like who I was throughout my life, all of that was training too, to kind of set me up for having the drive to train for those six years. Yeah, that's really interesting. So then, you know, I started out um, in massage therapy and wanted to really turn it into a rehabilitative practice. And that really kind of how our paths intertwined as we started getting into the same kind of movement practices, you know, so like I started following functional range conditioning, and then inevitably, you run into, you know, DJ Murakami, and then, and, you know, started going to education courses, and then ran into um, Andy Shea started taking a bunch of uh, classes at his place. And then he was like, Hey, you should check out this savage protocols guy. And I was like, what in the hell is that guy doing? He's so crazy. And then you just keep going down this weird path and then you know that's once you i remember when uh chris chamberlain who is the savage protocols guy for those people that don't know um started working at weck method and i was like what the hell is this guy talking about and then i got him on the podcast and was like holy shit <laughs> you just- yeah i remember i i went with because chris and me used to work at uh core strength and conditioning kettlebell gym together yeah. and and I remember when me and him and a couple other the trainers went to WEC method at its old location for David to kind of show us stuff with his equipment. So I was there with him kind of the first time he had a lot of interaction with David and we, we both learned some stuff there, but um, it wasn't until I think a couple of years later that he, he got really involved with David and everything that he was doing, but it just, it ended up being like just a match made in heaven. Yeah. That's, and they're just, I don't know the shit that guy posts on Instagram. You're like, that doesn't even seem real, especially how strong that guy is for what he looks like as a size. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, it's been really fun actually. Uh, Cause I train, I train my clients out of whack method. And so I, Chris is here every day. And so I get to just watch him do crazy shit. Or the other day he was filling up his 400 pound sandbag with sand. Cause now he's, his goal is to get that 400 pound sandbag to his shoulder. And Oh, there's probably only a thousand people in the world that can do this. So I, I just, I just want to be able to do it. <laughs> I know what the hell. And I just got a 150 pound sandbag today and I did like five squats with it and like two good mornings. And then like one box step up each leg was like, cool. That was my workout for the day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So just get up to 400 pounds and you'll, you'll be where Savage is. Cool. Um, so anyway, <laughs> good goal. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is like kind of like this world of social media, which is like something that you've succeeded in because right, like the 10,000 person mark is like what everybody's kind of goal is, is to get to that. Just, I don't like, I don't know why for this, for the swipe up. For the link, swipe I, up. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I think the the mark used to be 10,000 and now it's like 100,000. So I got to 10,000 at a time when like 10,000 didn't mean as much anymore. Now I feel yeah. like you have to have 100,000 for it to really mean anything. Although 
I do think things are shifting in a way that having a slightly smaller following is now valued more because you're seen as more like authentic and trustworthy since you're still mostly just like yourself versus once you start getting up into those higher numbers, it's like someone's managing you, you're just selling stuff. You know what I mean? There's kind of a level of authenticity if you have a slightly smaller following these days than if your following's too big, you lose a little bit of that. That's so interesting. I don't, because I've been trying to figure it out for like the last three or four years and, and trying to figure out what hits and what doesn't. And like, you know, because it's just for me, it'd be easier to be an educator and teach classes with Andy if I have 10,000 people just based off of like funneling, right? Like if you have 10,000 people, then you put up a, Hey, I'm going to teach a course at this time on this day. And then a thousand people will probably look at it. A hundred people will be interested. And then probably 20 or 30 people show up. You know what I mean? And so it'd be nice if it was that easy. That doesn't really happen exactly like that for me, but yeah. (laughs) And it's just, and so that's why it's so interesting because there's this, monster goal to get this following of people so that you know you could potentially like eventually start making money off of that somehow by selling online products whatever it is and um it's just such a struggle and it's so weird to just get people's attention and yeah it is it is weird because i think in some ways there's certain things i post that i know is going to get a ton of attention or a ton of likes, but it's not always, it doesn't always transfer to people actually paying money. There's just certain things that draw attention. You know, it's like whether it's, whether it's sex appeal, whether it's a party trick, whether like certain things that draw attention, but you have to decide, you know, is that really leading you towards whatever your goal is? And for me, I'm like always thinking about, is this like, is this something I can post and maintain my integrity? Because integrity is really important to me. And I want to make sure that what I'm posting is representative of, of who I am, especially in a space where like so many people are fake or they're only putting their best foot forward. I want to try to remain fairly authentic. Otherwise it doesn't feel like um, something that's, that's true to who I am, but it is kind of interesting trying to ride that line of like, well, if if you get attention then you have more influence right so does it always matter how you get that attention it's like yes and no it's kind of hard to to figure out exactly what that should look like yeah and it's uh people are so weird just trying to figure out what people want you know so then you know the the sex appeal thing is obviously something that people have attention towards. So then it's like, do you like this post because of its content and what I'm saying? Or do you like this post just because I'm a beautiful woman? Like what's happening here? You know, because I'm not a beautiful woman. So I really struggle in that department. (laughs) Right. So then, um, but then, you know, I was really trying to establish myself as like a movement specialist for a really long time. And, you know, I'd go through all these complicated, like kin stretch, like, um, uh, isometric movement pathways and and do all this different stuff and like eight people would like it and then I do like a half kneeling hamstring hold and people are like what's well, amazing and I'm like what like what do you what do you mean I'm just sitting like <laughs> so weird and so then I um, started to understand that I really wanted to uh, establish myself as like an educator and especially like in the massage therapy space because most of the massage therapy education is really remedial and super basic and hasn't really evolved at all so then the second i start posting anatomy stuff people like holy shit this is what i needed and i'm like okay so then this one's really good it's on the shoulder and people like no i don't want shoulder i'm like well okay then what about low back people like yeah low back and it's just super weird what people identify with, especially like certain pain points and stuff like that. And like what sells, um, because I, uh, created a, uh, 12 week fitness program that helps you manage stress. And so that doesn't sell. Like, how do you sell stress? Because you're not going to yeah. get, if you're trying to manage stress better, then you're not going to get six pack abs and you're not going to add a hundred pounds to your back squat but you probably feel like shit all the time. So then trying to figure out like how to 
trigger people to go towards that direction. And then you have to start watching what like drug companies are doing. Well, this is why the marketers get paid the big bucks, right? right? Because it's about drawing people's attention to the pain points in a way that resonates with them. And, and that's what, I mean, that's what everybody's trying to figure out, right? That's how, that's right. how you get money is you figure out what that problem is that people have and how to fix it, but not just what's the solution, but how do you market the solution in a way that people are actually going to want to take the pill and take that solution. Right. And it's uh and basically you just have to ask that question. Do you constantly feel like shit? Yeah, that's me. Cool. You probably don't need to do CrossFit every day. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, and so we need to start. It's really, God, it's so weird. And so then, um, you know, once I put that program out, it was like super scary. Like, do I really know what I'm talking about type of thing? Like, am I really, am I really at this intelligence level where I can put this out or am I full of shit? And then, oh, the, impo- the old imposter syndrome. Oh I think we God. all get that. Totally. And then you're, so you're just, but I'm like this kind of person, like I've done a cage fight before. So like this shouldn't be too bad, right? Like just get after right. it, just put it out there. So then I just go forward into fear anyway. Um, and so, but just, that's another thing that I've been um, really, proud of you about is you're being a lot more vulnerable on social media as well. Like, Oh, thank you. you. Like talking about all that stuff. And I'm just like, man, that takes a lot of courage to do that in a world. Like you were just saying where everybody's just like, Oh, well, if I just put this out there, the people like it and then I'll be an influencer. But we're like, I think that's something that we're both trying to do is influence people to understand that vulnerability is a strength and not a weakness. Totally. Yeah. I think that's, and I think for me, it it comes fairly naturally because I, I just am pretty open and authentic person. And I, I just think that those things resonate with people as well, because on social media, so many things come across as, um, you know, fake or kind of like staged that it's, it's refreshing for people to just be able to, you know, while some things that I post probably, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm mostly posting about the positive things, but at the same time, you know, I want to highlight some of these other things that people can also see. Like I'm just a human, just like you, you know, I'm, I'm not like a, a celebrity or I'm not like super special. I'm just trying to share some of my journey in a way that's authentic that I hope will be relatable and, and be a source of inspiration for some people. Yeah. It's really interesting. So going back to like the celebrity thing, cause like, in my world, you are a celebrity. Like, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like the Dr. Perry Nicholson's or the, you know, the DJ Murakami's, like whoever. You're like, those are like the people that I'm like, wow, I get to hang out with this person. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then, <laughs> but then you like see, I remember one time I was in uh, uh, Hollywood and I was like watching a UFC fight. And then... Um, Norman Reedus from Walking Dead walks in and I was like, oh, what the hell's that guy doing here? <laughs> then I'm like, oh, he lives here. Got it. Okay. You're like, oh but yeah, he's I, just a normal person. Sort of. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then I just kept watching the fights. Like it wasn't like a thing. But now if I see somebody in my world that I perceive to be like a famous person, then I'm going to jump up and be like, holy shit, it's Dr. Andrea Ospina. He's standing right there. I'm going to go say what's up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's just really funny what people perceive to be as like important and it's yeah and and then you know how social media can be such a toxic thing for a lot of people but like for me I use it as a learning tool and as like encouragement and as like what should I be doing next like what are these people looking at you know what are these people doing how should I integrate that into my training and that kind of stuff you know I think that that's actually one of the issues with social media that I see is how much people talk about it being toxic. And I think the more you think that it's toxic, the more it becomes toxic for you. And I really think that you can use it, you know, for, for good or for evil. Right. And I know that social media is made to get people addicted to it. Of course, they want you to spend a lot of time on it, but I really think that you can use it in a positive way. I mostly have positive interactions on social media. I follow the people that inspire me. So I feel like most of 
I feel like most of my interaction with social media is positive. I don't feel like it's, it's toxic to my life. It's added a lot of benefits. You know, I've gotten a lot of time freedom just based on being able to leverage the following that I have to help finance my lifestyle. And so I think that you can choose to view it in, in one way or the other. And yeah, it can be easy to slide into that like toxic part of it. But I think if you're conscious about how you use it, you're conscious about who you follow, it really can just be a big, big source of inspiration. Right. And even on Facebook, like, what are you paying attention to? Like, are you paying attention to all that political stuff? Or like, mm. are you like me where you just have nothing but puppy videos and <laughs> compilation videos of people scaring the shit out of each other? <laughs> because that's like what I pay attention to. It's so and you, Yeah, you can curate your feed, which is like good and bad, right? Maybe it's bad in some ways because you get like insulated in a little bubble. But yeah. at the same time, like I think it's what it, what is the purpose of focusing on really negative stuff? I don't think it really and enhances your life, you know, to focus on a lot of the negative. I think focusing on more of the positive and, and the abundance in life is, is going to lead you down a better path overall. Right. And so it's all about the why. And then once you figure out the why, then what's your plan? And so then, you know, everybody's like, Oh my God, Trump tweeted this. I'm like, cool. What's your plan? Are you going yeah, to get him? What are you, what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah, are you going to get him to go stop that? Like, Hey, I'm going to call up Donald Trump right now and be like, listen, asshole, don't say that stuff on Twitter. No, you're yeah, not. And like, so like getting upset about that kind of thing is like, who, what is that doing for anybody? Well, really it's only having a negative impact on yourself, right? It's like you can right. choose to be upset about that or you can choose to not be upset about it and just move on. Right. And so then all that stuff builds up because you're so triggered because you can't affect change globally or even nationally. So then everything is a trigger for you. So then you walk in and you hear that you're trying to get coffee and you hear somebody talking about the Republican party. And you're like, well, I'm a Democrat. And then you start like yelling at him about whatever. And you're just like, stop, just stop it. Like that's not doing anything. Like, yeah. I think I went in coffee shops isn't helping any situations. Yeah. I mostly, I mostly steer clear of politics and it used to be something that I, I didn't really like to advertise as people will kind of get on you if you don't vote or you don't pay attention. But I'm like, if I wanted to be educated about politics, it would probably take me years to get caught up on all the political and historical context and then try to sift and filter through different um, news articles, which are all, you know, have their own bias to it. Right. And uh, I think that if you get so up in arms about politics, it's like, okay, you can get upset about all these things that you can't affect, like you're saying, or you could focus on changing yourself. You could focus on changing the people around you and having a positive impact where you are, you know? And I feel like that, if everybody did that, it would make a global change if people just focus on making themselves and their community better. 100%. And so, you know, if you're talking like you're a political expert, then why are you working at Home Depot? Why aren't you working in politics? Like, right? let's just stop it. So, yeah. um, <laughs> Um, so then you said a majority of your interactions are really positive on social media. That's another thing that I was really wondering about is, you know, I have, um, just over 2000 followers and I've only had like two or three interactions where people were like, Oh, here's my opinion on chronic pain. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's a good opinion. And then yeah. they're like, okay. And then that was it. But then, you know, so does that, increase with the amount of followers that you have or how does that work you know i've had very few negative interactions with people on social media i think it depends on like what you're putting out there and i don't really i don't think i really put anything very controversial out there at this yeah. point um i i have noticed i have it a few posts that get a lot of i've had a video that maybe it got like twenty thousand views at some point on instagram and i got one person that started hating on some, it was like a back bend into a handstand. They started telling me how this was like going to give me thoracic outlet syndrome and I shouldn't tell other people to do it, which I wasn't. But sometimes <laughs> with some posts that become more popular, you do get some of those comments. I have a YouTube video that has maybe 200,000 views and that one will get a negative comment here and there. But for the most part, um, I haven't experienced a lot of that, but I do think that as of course, as your following increases or you get more exposure, there's going to be people who forget that you're a person maybe because it has a lot of views or they maybe think you're not going to see it or they just feel like saying something negative because there's a lot of positive comments. Who knows? 
I do yeah. think that it increases a little bit of the, as that goes up. But at this point, I haven't experienced a lot of negative comments. I can only imagine how hard that must be for the people who have, you know, millions of followers and get a lot of hate. I could yeah. see even, even though it's an internet comment, you know, I, I could see that being pretty tough to deal with if you're getting a lot, a lot of those. Right. And like Joe Rogan always talks about like, why do you even do that? Like, just don't even, don't read the comments, bro. That's what he says all the time. <laughs> Cause then yeah. people, <laughs> cause then it's just becomes this ridiculous fight that people are just trying to start just so they can be like, Oh my God, I'm fighting with Joe Rogan. That's so cool. You know? So yeah. <laughs> super weird. Yeah, I, I could see it'd be hard. I think the curiosity would make it hard not to look. So I could understand why a lot of people do look, but if you get up to Joe Rogan's level, yeah, I'd be like, there is no point like you don't have time to look and looking at that is is probably only going to bring you negative feelings right and it's funny because all the the mma media looks it looks at the joe rogan podcast as like the ultimate news source it's just so then everything he says is like gospel and you're like no he just had an opinion he probably was kind of stoned and probably don't went he's just like, he's just shooting the shit but at the same time <laughs> I think that Joe Rogan is pretty highly educated at this point. I From think all so the too. experts he's had on his show, For I would sure. listen to that guy over a lot of other people because he has a lot of knowledge built up from all of those hours of sitting and working and talking with these experts. Yeah, and just it, the wide array of people that he can get onto his podcast is bananas. And so it's amazing. Yeah, like one of my favorite episodes ever is with uh, Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson talking about like that meteor that hit in the upper Northwest of America and just obliterated the human race pretty much. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. And then two days later I was uh, cruising through Facebook and I saw this video of one of those doorbell cameras from down in Phoenix. And there was just big flash of light. And I'm like, Oh, that's how we die. We're sitting here worried about Donald Trump's tweets. And then the next thing you know, this meteor just comes out of nowhere and just smashes everything and we all die like that's like i think it's good i think it's always good to keep death as a reference for how you live your life and making decisions because for sure. it's, yeah it's like you said we could die tomorrow so it's important to keep that in perspective i think right and especially with the way people drive because i didn't start driving until i was like 20 or 21 and i rode my bmx bike everywhere oh wow that, good for you and that was before cell phones right and now I look at all these people while I'm driving in my metal box in my metal cage of protection. And I'm looking at all these people driving and texting. I'm like, there's no way I would ever ride my bike anywhere now ever. I mean, this is why the idea of automated cars might actually be a good idea because at least the car will be paying attention <laughs> while <laughs> yeah. the person is looking at their phone. For sure. Oh my God. It's terrifying. Just the complacency that people have and just like using death as a marker. But like that's uh, what, I, what I really use my training for is not only for um, rehabilitating people, but also making them more resilient. You know, so like it, yeah. I, I read a book um, called The Lost Sense of Balance and it was talking about how um, most people over the age of 60 are a fall risk. And it's because they're not doing anything. Yeah. So bananas. So I had a lady, she's like uh, 57 or 58, I think, come in just with knee pain. And I was like, oh, you just don't have strong knees. So let's make those stronger. And then, you know, because then you start doing like um, the exercise where they step off of like a six inch box and touch their heel on the ground and then come back up. That's like stepping off a step. So if you can't do that, then you're literally falling down the stairs and you're yes. dancing this fine line between whether you're falling in control or out of control. Yeah. So let's figure that out, you know, and then let's spend more time on the ground to get comfortable down there. And then let's start building up strength that way. And then eventually you're not a fall risk anymore. And it's just crazy that how much people are just so complacent on what they need to do to just be a person. It's Well, if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, it's very interesting because, you know, a long time ago, if you weren't able to move well, well, you'd just die. You'd just <laughs> right. be like killed off because like something would get you or, you know, someone would kill you, someone or something would kill you versus now it's like we live in such a life of 
like ease and luxury that you you literally could stay in the same room for your entire life and just like call out for like food and water and and just sit around and survive for a long time which you is know? so, so crazy it is so crazy but it i i also probably happens to you too at a certain level like i kind of live in this bubble of like most of the friends that i have and people that i'm around are like very active and i live in san diego where people are very active in general so sometimes forget like how big of a percentage of the population you know is just completely sedentary or inactive and how it's just not a part of their life to move yeah and that's a really frustrating thing that i have going on where i am is you know i go and visit san diego a lot and then i hang out with andy and then he's like oh let's go over to this other gym and hang out and i'm like okay and then we go to ambition which is where i met you and then we're hanging out over there and then he gets all these other friends from all these other gyms to go together and hang out at the beach and like here in flagstaff we're on this weird little island that's like so small where everybody used to work with everybody, but everybody screwed everybody over. So now there's like this huge, like competitive thing where everybody's like, mm, I'm not coming over to your gym. And you're like, why? Like, I'm not. So if you're worried about competition, what you really have is a marketing problem because everybody needs you. Yeah. You live in this world, like what you were just saying, where just like, you know, you can order delivery from anywhere. You don't even have to go grocery shopping anymore. Like you can, right. it's so crazy. So you can just literally do nothing and kind of be okay for a while yeah. until your shit show lifestyle catches up with you. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's just, yeah, like you're right. Coming from like just incredibly physically capable people to like, seeing how the rest of the world actually kind of operates you're just like oh okay so yeah how do i if i marketed myself correctly i'd be inundated with business is basically yes yeah but it is interesting dealing with that you know if people are pretty much okay with doing that for a certain amount of time it it does leave this interesting thing where probably a good portion of the younger population doesn't see the need for it and they're maybe so caught up in their job or making money that that's not something that they realize until later on. And then down the road, you see this kind of older, the older population that's realized that that's important. There was some quote I heard the other day that was like, a, um, a sick man only wants one thing, whereas a healthy man wants 10,000 things or mm. something like that, right? When you're, when you're sick or when you're not well, all you want is to be healthy, right? Yeah. Versus if you're if you're healthy, you're like, oh, I just I just want all these other things, right? But it just shows the 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 value. Like your health really is a number one thing because if you don't have your health, you literally have nothing, right? And so, and it's easy to take advantage of, especially when you're like an independent business owner, right? So then you're just like, oh shit, okay, so I did this world champion thing. Now I gotta make money. And so I got to start training people more. And then the more people you train, the less you train. And then that kind of starts to fall off, you know? So that's where I'm at now is my, my brain is so full of what I call the used to coulds. I used to be able to do that. Right. So my brain's like, Oh, we could do like 10 muscle ups in a row. And then my body's like, Nope, we can't do that. (laughs) And you know, but then I, um, started up jujitsu again and did like three days a week for like a month and just had this debilitating back pain where I was like, Oh, I'm just wildly deconditioned. Yeah. So I need to get more conditioned and just, well, this is, this is where I think leveraging the online space is so important for right. a trainer, especially, or for service professional where, you know, you're making money based on your time. If you're working in person, if you at least can have a supplement of the online um, you know, financial support, then, then it frees up your time because it is important to maintain your own health and maintain your own training, you know, probably same for you. But for me, one of the biggest things that inspires me in coaching is my own training and the things that I'm experiencing or the new things that I'm learning. They always inspire how I, I coach my clients and how I help them learn based on, you know, what I'm learning and experiencing. So I feel like that's the beauty of figuring out how to at least at some level leverage the online space. It's almost like silly not to, you know, especially with, with how hard it is for many trainers and coaches to make it financially. 
you know, to be successful can be tough because it's, you know, if you're doing private training, it's like, that's the first thing to go when people's budgets cut down, you know, and you have to figure out how can you, you know, get your knowledge out there to more people so it can support, you know, the lifestyle that you want and maintaining your own health and having the time to do that. Right. And then, you know, looking at how much you sell your services for a month based off of what your expertise level is and what you think that you're worth compared to what the cost of living is where you're at and what people are able to afford. And then once you start breaking it down, you're like, Hmm, I'm really not making that much an hour. So then I should probably get more people in an hour. But then if you do too many, then that becomes a group class and then you can't give the people the focus that they need. And it just becomes this big, huge thing, you know? So it's a, yeah, that's really interesting. And so the other thing that I'm really trying to work on right now is what um, uh, Dr. Andrea Spina talks about in the FRC course is, um, you know, you should just be moving every day. You shouldn't just try and cram your workout into an hour. Like, you know, there's times where I have half hour, even an hour in between clients. Like I shouldn't be sitting there on my phone. I should be doing this or that or you know crushing myself with my new sandbag or doing kettlebell swings or you know doing like ascending pull-up ladders on the minute or whatever it is you know doing something and because all of those little somethings add up to a bigger something later on you know and that's how that's how I'm working on getting fit right now because I've been ignoring it for so long just focusing on how to influence people to take care of themselves which is ridiculously difficult until they're in either chronic pain or they're sick, like you were alluding to earlier. And I think people greatly undervalue what you're talking about, which is these like just lower intensity, lower time commitment movements like spread throughout your day. Like I think people undervalue 10 minutes a day of movement, you know, getting up in the morning and just taking a little bit of time to move your joints around. Maybe you do 10 push ups, and you know, you do, you do a few squats and then you like keep going with your day. You know, I think that that can have such a big impact, not just physically, but just mentally to, um, you know, move your day in a productive direction right from the start. Right. And that's where, you know, CrossFit and Orange Theory and all like F45, whatever it is, are all like, well, this is your hour. So just cram it all in as hard as you can. And you're just like, no, that's like, and you know, the, the intensity thing is another thing too, because being a business owner, so stressful. And so especially around like Christmas time when people's lives just stop happening, which is so crazy. This is, this is like the first one in a couple of years where I was just like, really? Nobody is doing anything for three weeks. What are you doing? It definitely felt like that for me too. So I feel like it was a, I feel like it was a universal thing. People are just completely off the radar. Yeah. Right. And then you're just like, I still have to make rent. Where's all my, you know, used, it's just so weird. And um, it, it's, but that amount of stress that you have for that three weeks, like doesn't just go away. It carries on. And so if you are constantly giving your body more stress response, then you're going further towards burnout, which is not good for anyone because then you're irritable and then you're tired all the time. And then you're not losing weight because your body is under threat. And you're just like, well, why can't I lose weight? And it's like, because you're shitty. You need to do less intensity, be less shitty for a while, and come back to where your baseline used to be so that you can start working out again. Like, So that's like one of those non-sexy things about training and weight loss that people don't really want to talk about, right? It's like sleep, stress, nutrition. Because, you know, I I have clients who come into me and they they, want to lose X amount of weight. And it's not really something I, I, I don't really work with people at weight loss often, but I have some clients that like that's, that's part of their goal and, and that's fine. But I'm always like, we're going to have a conversation about the things that actually are going to make the difference towards, you know, weight loss. If you're really serious about weight loss, it's not about how hard we're training when you're here with me. It's about making sure that you get sleep. It's about how can you manage your stress that's probably the most challenging one because I yep. can't control that for you. That's on you, you know, right. and then talking about nutrition, which is a whole other, I don't really coach people on nutrition because I, I think it opens up a whole can of worms and goes way more into psychology than I'm qualified for. But, right. you know, it's, it's obviously a conversation you have to have and, and discuss if somebody is talking about weight loss because without it, you know, 
where where are you you can't you can't out train any of those things right and so yeah you want to feel like a really shitty human being read that why we sleep book by um Oh, I love that book. <laughs> oh my God. You're just like, oh, I'm the worst. I'm going to die any second. <laughs> I, I recommend it to, to like all my clients. Yeah, I, it's a I really good book. It's really good. Um, and so the other thing about like nutrition, which is really interesting is because, you know, I haven't, I don't drink. And so that's what a lot Me of people neither. do. Me neither. High five. <laughs> so that's what a lot of people do to quote unquote de-stress, but that doesn't really work because essentially what you're doing is building this crappy little dam and then all that stress keeps building up behind that dam so when you're done drinking that thing breaks all that stress comes in hot, that's a good you know? way to put it i pretty yeah. much just always put it like you're poisoning your body so your body right. literally has to first filter the poison yep. <laughs> before it can do anything else yeah i always say uh ninjas use alcohol to clean off their swords like that's what i always tell people <laughs> <laughs> so but, um, uh and then so in place of alcohol i use food right food is what i do to be social food is what i do to make myself feel better and then so recently what's really helped me out is that i started treating food like my um, massage practice where when somebody comes in in chronic pain all we're doing with this massage practice is giving us a temporary window of opportunity to help you move better so if we don't help you move better then those symptoms are just going to come back, right? Mm -hmm. So then what am I doing with food? So if I'm eating a donut or a cookie or whatever, I'm giving myself dopamine when I need it. So if I understand why I'm doing that, which is where I feel like I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm having a hard day or whatever, if I eat that donut, then I'm giving myself a temporary window of opportunity to use that hit of dopamine to turn my attitude around and turn my mindset around and start veering right instead of swerving left, right? Mm -hmm. And so once I started wrapping my head around that, then I only eat that one donut or that one slice of pizza or whatever instead of going hard in the paint and eating a whole entire pizza or a whole dozen donuts. You know, so that's then, an interesting way to look at it. I, right. I like that because, like you're saying, a lot of times that's kind of what leads people into like a binge or a spiral of right. getting off track. Right? It's like, well, I had that one donut, so now I'm just gonna go and eat ten. You know, right. that's yeah. an interesting way to put it. I, I like it. Right, because that's essentially what you're doing, right? And so, because I don't smoke cigarettes either, but that's what cigarette smokers are doing. And so, the way that I talk about like a breathing practice is just be like a cigarette smoker, but without the cigarette. So like if when cigarette smokers are stressed or sad or angry or whatever, they just go outside, stand in the sun and take big deep breaths for 10 minutes. That's all they're doing. They just yeah. think that they need the cigarette to do that, but you don't have to, you know what yeah. I mean? So if you just go outside and be like, Oh, I feel like shit. You're immediately taking yourself out of that situation. Go take a big few deep breaths for five minutes maybe walk around the building and then come back in and then you feel better. That's just the way it works. Right. So that's how I started looking at my food and then I'm not binging as much and then starting yeah, to well, make better decisions and then you're good to go after that. Right. And so yeah. just looking at it that way, I think is really helpful for um, my clients to help them understand what they're doing. They're just trying to get that dopamine hit. So then, um, then that, then they eat less of that junk food and then they're able to make more progress with their nutrition. That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think that those kind of like changing your mindset or, or having that in the moment kind of like trigger for you to kind of reframe is, is so important for changing habits, you know, especially ones like you're mentioning with, with nutrition or, or cigarettes or things that are, can be really addictive and hard to change. That's, that's what we're all searching for is those different types of triggers or reframes you can use to try to initiate change. Right. Exactly. And so then it just kind of unfurls into better habits, which is what we as trainers are really trying to accomplish is get people to do better habits more often. You know, so it's like, it's interesting. We're humans are weird. I keep saying like we're, we, it's amazing. We made it this far and we um, are constantly just following people that are smarter than us. And that's why we've survived so long. Like there were some people that were like, Hey, this rain 
falling on my head really sucks. I'm going to put this thing above my head. And then people are like, yeah, but what if we put up walls around that? And they're like, oh, walls. That's a pretty good idea. Well, the reason we're still here is because, I mean, the reason we are the way we are is because it allowed us to still be here, right? right. So at some yeah. level, those things are helping us in certain ways, right? It's always interesting right. to take that back to like evolutionary biology and look at like why people act that way. And then there's somewhat of a mismatch in today's world because things have changed so, so rapidly. Right. And so that's where, you know, if I'm trying to sell stress, then I need to be more educated on stress. And that's what I've been reading a lot about is like, we are the only creatures on earth that are like predictive. So we can actually predict stress. And so, you know, Oh my God, what if I get Brittany on the podcast and I'm not very interesting. And then we just sit there staring at each other for like five minutes. And I'm like, okay, I got to turn this off. You know what I mean? But if you think like that, then you're going to have a weird podcast. Right. And so like, I don't like, having something to talk about when I get on the podcast because then it's just like cool I ask those questions now what do I do you know what I mean oh, you, yeah you have to focus on memorizing it and takes you out of the moment right, right. I, I read this book recently that talks about how happiness is just the absence of like anxiety or stress about the future or about the past and how if you can just be really present here in the moment and not worry about those things that you actually can't control anyway, like that's true happiness. And it's interesting to try to really stay in that because I think our brain is so wired to like stress about things for probably for survival purposes. But if you're able to try to, to let some of that go and realize that like, well, I can't control it anyway, you're able to be so much more present and just more content overall, I think, because you can stay here which is really the only thing that we have right and so i i operate under the premise that happiness is momentary and so the happy people sit in those moments and the unhappy people don't so then the, the unhappy people are trying to chase whatever they perceive happiness to be whereas like if I'm sitting outside and it's a nice day and I'm sitting with my dogs and they're just like hanging out and I'm like, I'm really happy. And then you just sit there and be happy. You know what I mean? Which, which is one of the reasons why I love Andy Shea so much is because he's like, you know what? These people make me happy and the beach makes me happy. So why don't I combine those two things and be super happy? And I'm like, I have yet to ever see Andy in a bad mood. (laughs) Oh man. I have like twice. (laughs) <laughs> even even when he's like talking about something that kind of annoys him i feel like he's kind of like smiling and happy while he does it <laughs> yeah i know it's really weird and so um actually the day that i met you was um we were planning out our education course that we were going to do together and then we went to the ambition athletics uh, 10 year anniversary party and that's when he discovered that he had pink eye and he's pretty oh, bummed no. out <laughs> poor guy yeah he was bummed that's no fun i've had pink eye before it was not fun yeah it's not good and so you know that's uh there was yeah one time that was the one time he was pretty bummed out i think understandably bummed out by that yeah for sure and if you're not then you're weirdo right yeah because when if you have pink eye people always go like oh did you like poop and then rub your eyes (laughs) and you're like no why would i do that but that's always what people say (laughs) so who does that let's talk i'm sure there's people that do i'm sure there's people that do but i think most of us probably wash our hands after that i don't know i mean no judgment if you don't but you might get pink (laughs) for sure anyway (laughs) moving on from poop so so, i always say the people i like the best are the ones i can talk about poop with (laughs) yeah and that's the thing and my wife hates it because you know i have two german shepherds and you know i live in flagstaff arizona it snows and so they don't like take little poops they take big poops yeah and then it snows and then when it's done snowing we have like consecutive days of like you know 10 degree weather so then it all freezes and then there's just like oh god and (laughs) it's a nightmare so for months (laughs) i'm just like trying to catch up 
I'm going to pick them up <laughs> massive piles of shit. <laughs> and she's like, why do you talk to people about that? And I'm like, because it's a thing. It's part of life, you know? you got to be real. We're yeah, all, I mean, a lot of people yeah. have dogs, and they're, you know they're picking up their dog shit so they can relate. I know, and then it's like, it's also one of those things where people sometimes, I think, like the idea of a dog, but then it poops the first time, and they're like, hmm, what do I do with that? See, I have like an ideal situation where I have two roommates. They both have a dog, but I don't have a dog. So I can like cuddle with the dog, pet the dog, play with the dog. I don't have to do any of the other stuff. (laughs) It's like the ideal setup. So I say, you know, if you think you want a dog, just like have your roommates get, get some roommates, have them have dogs. Yeah. And then just do it that way. No poop to clean up. It's good. It's good. That's the way to go. Um, Man, what was I going to ask you about? (laughs) Received, but this is the problem. Yeah, we got derailed by poop, and now I don't know what to say. (laughs) So, um, let's talk about. um, So, like the the WEC method is really interesting because he's um he's obviously putting like a persona out there in the world, Mm -hmm. and it's but he's like this just wildly intelligent guy, and you know his. I I love a lot of what his basic core concepts are and have been including them in my training and especially like with the lat activation stuff because a majority of people with like chronic neck pain just don't have active lats so then their traps yeah. are doing all the work you know so that's really helpful for me but uh, let's talk about how that has enhanced your uh performance just as an individual and then what you do with uh, your clients to kind of integrate that stuff in there. Yeah. So I took the, the WEC method certification course in August. And I would say before that I had, I had learned about coiling like a couple of years before. So I'd kind of used it cause it's such a great lat activation tool, but I didn't really know um, how it tapped into like locomotion and running and all of that. So I would say I definitely use the coil a lot, both personally and for my clients. Like you said, there's a lot of people who don't know how to activate their lats. And I think it goes kind of deeper than that. A lot of people don't know how to create like internal tension or internal torque. Or by that, I mean, they don't know how to contract hard without an external force acting on them, which is normal. It's easier to contract hard when either someone's pushing against you or you're using a weight but I think it's important to establish a base level of how do I contract and activate the muscles in my body without anything acting on me, you know, to have that kind of control and like mind body connection, I think can really enhance your movement and your proprioception and just understanding how the movement is affecting your body, whether it's good or bad or whether a movement works for you. I think that is really important. So I think the coil taps into more than just lat activation. It's how do I tension my body the right way when I'm lifting, when I'm fighting, when I'm playing a sport, whatever it is that you're doing. So I think that the, the coil is, that's really the main concept, I think, of the WEC method course and what they teach. As far as outside of that, I really enjoy the, the ropes from WEC yeah. method. So um, that's, that's really cool just in terms of like, coordination in terms of like getting into a flow state in terms of you know correct uh connecting left and right brain i think it's it's almost like um you know if you're juggling or something like that it's like a similar type of skill acquisition with a rope so i really enjoy the ropes for that coordination and that kind of like flow aspect of it and i found a lot of my clients really enjoy it in some cases uh, clients that I wouldn't really expect to be interested in it that are kind of more like, oh, I want to get my workout. Like they really actually enjoy. There's something about getting into that rhythm with the rope that's kind of meditative and feels really good on the body. So I've really enjoyed the ropes, probably what I've practiced the most outside of just the regular coil. I have done a little bit of work with like the the pulsers and some of the like running drills with those. And um, I'm not super familiar with all of the training stuff they do with the BOSU ball, but you know, a lot of that is similar where it's learning how to generate that kind of like internal torque or tension in order to feel that the movement is, is kind of, you know, targeting the right area or that you're engaging or priming whatever you want to prime before you go and do whatever you're doing. So as far as I understand from uh, like from Savage, from Chris, who I've, I've learned a lot from is 
that a lot of these WEC method principles underlie everything else you want to do. So they essentially should make you better at whatever it is that you love doing or want to do, you know, whether that's a sport or whatever movement practice you're into. So for them, I think it's not about saying, oh, you should do WEC method instead of everything else. It's you can use WEC method to enhance anything else that you're doing, which right. is pretty cool. Yeah. And so that's what I got from um, FRC and Ken stretch as well. Just like, creating intention behind your movement instead of, you know, like where I was coming from the, the CrossFit world where they're just like, let's go fast and hard and see what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then we'll get super tired and sweaty. And you're like, no, that's, yeah. you know, your brain doesn't register as much during that. And yeah. um, I think uh, the uh, director of rock tape just released something between, they had an MRI scan between intentional movement and then high intensity movement and more of your brain is activated with intentional movement because yeah. you're really focusing on what you're doing. So that's like where, you know, the FRC really comes in for me, especially as a rehabilitative practice is most people are used to using their shoulder, pushing up or pushing forward. And then, so they don't use the back of their shoulder very much. And so then that's why they have shoulder pain and that's why they don't have mobility is because yeah. their brain doesn't understand what the back of their shoulder is because they never go there. And so yeah. when you have them move there, then they start to stutter because it's like the way I explain it to them, it's like you're running through the living room and then somebody starts flickering the light on you. That's what's yeah. going on back here because you don't know what's going on because yeah. your brain doesn't go there very often. And so the more, you know, that's like one of the things that like DJ Murakami talks about a lot is that, you know, um, variability in your movement actually makes you stronger than just doing the same stuff over and over again, because you're recruiting more of your body in order to do that thing. And so yeah. that's going with like the chi torque and stuff like that. And, you know, that's where all those like David Weck and Savage Protocols collaborations are really, I think, moving our business forward if there's trainers that are paying attention to it, because there's a lot of trainers that don't. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think it's a small percentage of trainers that are. And I think the, you know, I really have gotten a lot from the FRC system. And, and it's like you said, I feel like it's for me personally, and I know for my clients, it's brought a lot more awareness to, you know, how do you contract into certain ranges of motion? And what does that feel like? And how do you generate tension in a particular spot? Or, you know, I, I feel like I didn't really know what it felt like to use my like internal hip rotators until I started working on improving my internal hip rotation being like, Oh, these are the muscles I contract to actually rotate my hip. Right. I never thought about that before, you know? Right. So I'm like, as a trainer, if I had never thought of that, you know, that, you know, that the average person is not thinking about this and doesn't know even maybe how to rotate their hip or what that even means. Right. And I, I think that what I like about chi torque is that it's, it's taking some similar, you know, principles of creating internal tension, but it's, it's, it's kind of gives it an like infinite number of ways to do this. I feel like, you know, FRC has created this system that's, you know, this is kind of how you do it, which is, is great. You know, you need kind of a system for it and there might be things that are a bigger priority in some ways, but I think that it goes beyond that in terms of there's so many different ways you can generate like internal tension and it's not just in this one position, you know, right. there's unlimited ways and it's cool to explore that because the more you explore those different ways you can generate tension, the more control you have of your body, the more insight you have into how it works, you know, because I think that that personal experience and that's why, you know, I think training and movement is so important for everybody. That personal experience is what teaches you the most about your body. Right. Yep. Boom. I think that's where we should end it because we just blew through an hour. <laughs> oh, good stuff. I can't believe it's already been an hour. <laughs> I know. It's bananas. Um, so what are you reading right now? Are you reading anything? What am I reading? I'm reading um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I, I started reading it maybe like a couple of years ago, but I kind of like put it down and I've just come back to it recently. It's just full of so many gems about interacting with other people and, and kind of staying on a, on a positive level in terms of interaction, taking more of that like an abundance mindset to interact with people and that that will always come back around in your favor. 
Right. I'm reading uh, Conscious Coaching by Brett Bartholomew. I'm, re- I'm rereading it. And it's really good about just the psychology of what you need to be a coach as far as like a leader and where your mindset needs to be. And then all the different athletes that you can potentially work with and then the psychology that they have and, and how you can influence them to become better. That's a really good one. If you haven't, wow, I haven't read that. I'll have to check it out. I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to need a new book soon. So thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, it's really good. And like I said, I, I read it the first time, like five or six years ago and or whenever it just came out. And so I'm rereading it again and with like a different outlook and a different mindset from, you know, that, that much experience. And it's just a whole new thing. It's bananas. Uh, yeah. I love it when you get something even better from a book the second time around. Totally. Um, where can people find you? So you can search KB fit Brit on pretty much any platform. So YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, um, KB for my website. So you can, you can find me anywhere there. Just Google it and probably find some articles from my website. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. Absolutely. We'll do it again soon. Sounds good.